You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Just uh, begin with some notices uh, before we spend some special time together. Uh, let's uh, talk about some of the business of the church for committee of management members. Next Sunday morning is the committee meeting, and next week there'll be a youth-led service, and we're putting on a lunch afterwards. Essentially, I think, a pizza lunch, but there'll be something for everyone. What I am after is a few people to volunteer to bring a salad. Just put up your hand. If you could bring a bowl of salad, that'd be great. And that'll help us digest the pizza. Just mentioning to you things that are happening this week. For those who want to go to Shady Grove, there's a service 5pm today, Vespers service. Also at Shady Grove on Wednesday morning, Bush Care. Jenny Warner is here today. You can ask her about that if you want to know more. This Wednesday, 5 p.m. here, meditation. So you're welcome to join that. Although if you're new to the group, then I recommend contacting the minister first to find out about how it all works. I think that's uh, probably just about it. Just to say also that there's an updated history booklet if you're interested in the history of the Unitarians in South Australia who have been going since 1854. And just see Mary at the office or have a look in the foyer perhaps for an updated history booklet. Let's now enter into a time away from the cares of the world. like to say that everyone is welcome, no matter what your sexuality, gender, ethnicity, heritage, whatever. Everyone is indeed welcome here. I can mention that on the way out, you're welcome to make a contribution by cash or waving a card past the pay point to help us keep going. We meet on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We respect their elders, past and present. This morning, we're going to hear a selection of music from Carnival of the Animals, a large work by Sanson. Brendan, who's playing for us, will read a little explanatory piece from Ogden Nash about each of the animals represented in the music. Over to you, Brendan. The lion is the king of beasts, and husband of the lioness, gazelles, and things on which he feasts address him as your highness. There are those that admire the roar of his in African jungles and belts, but I think that wherever the lion is, I'd rather be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Brenda. That was heroic. As part of our regular tradition, we light the flame above this chalice. Early in World War II, it was designed as a symbol of freedom of thought and liberation from persecution. And those essential thoughts remain important to us today. And now I'd like to invite John up to read an extract from The Circus Animal's Desertion by William Butler Yeats. I sought a theme and sought for it in vain. I sought it daily for six weeks or so. Maybe at last, being by but a broken man, I might be satisfied with my heart. Although winter and summer till old age began, my circus animals were all on show. Those stilted boys, that burnished chariot, lion and woman, and Lord knows what. And this brought forth a dream, and soon enough, this dream itself had all my thought and love. Heart mysteries there, and yet when all is said, it was the dream itself enchanted me. Character isolated by a deed to engross the present and dominant memory, players and painted stage took all my love, and not those things that they were emblems of. Again, a regular part of our service is to light candles representing the joys and concerns that we might have and I'll light the first candle and express some joy at the wonderful musical talent we have in Adelaide. Over the last couple of weeks I've seen a wonderful opera performance of The Marriage of Figaro with our local opera singers and orchestra and also some wonderful young performers from the Conservatorium of Music through Recitals Australia, a non-profit association that puts on beautiful fine music concerts. So there's something to celebrate there. Anyone else is welcome to come forward if they have anything they wish to share. Let me light a final candle representing those joys and concerns which we're not up for expressing just at the moment. Let's just spend a moment reflecting on what we've heard. There's a lot of joy we experience as a result of sharing with the beautiful people in our lives, our family and friends, people in this very group. Let us be thankful for those continuing connections. And Meanwhile, in the world, there is strife. Let us pray for peace. Let us do what we can, however we can, to promote peace in the world. Let there be peace. Annette will read for us.
This reading comes from Carl Jung, The Archetypes and the Collective Unconscious. It seems to me that it would be far better stoutly to avow our spiritual poverty, our symbollessness, instead of feigning a legacy to which we are not the legitimate heirs at all. We are surely the rightful heirs of Christian symbolism, but somehow we have squandered this heritage. We have let the house our ancestors built fall into decay. And now we try to break into oriental palaces that our ancestors never knew. Anyone who has lost the historical symbols and cannot be satisfied with substitute is certainly in a very difficult position today. Before such a person, there yawns the void, and one turns away from it in horror. What is worse, the vacuum gets filled with absurd political and social ideas, which, one and all, are distinguished by their spiritual bleakness. And now I offer some reflections on Jung's 12 archetypes with a rather long introduction about the idea of the persona. It's the outer face we present to the world while the archetypes are bubbling around inside of us. Who are you? Every one of us holds a bundle of identity cards, perhaps based on occupation or former occupation, our relationship status or our gender. We take on many identities based on the countless messages and labels we've received from others in our lives, especially when we were children. Not always helpful. And more lately, we may have formed conceptions of ourselves based on our own journey of self-discovery. It's not quite right to say we can be whoever we want to be. We can't decide to suddenly be 21 again, or to be an astronaut, or even an unemployed astronaut. But, <laughs> but we can make decisions about how we're going to behave. We can make decisions about how kind and generous we are going to be with other people. There are obstacles in the way. I mean internal obstacles. Past hurt, even past trauma, and all those messages we received which hold us back. All the things some voice is telling us you're not supposed to do. The 12 archetypes discerned by Carl Jung can help us understand who we are and our potential to be who we want to be. Now, some of the names, of they, as they have been translated into English, um, have a couple of different possibilities. But let me just quickly run around this diagram in no particular order. But there is the innocent, or the child, the sage, the explorer, the outlaw, or rebel, the magician, the hero, the lover, the jester, every man, also originally known as the orphan, the caregiver, the ruler, and the creator 
or artist. We'll come back to those in a moment. But first I want to come back to the theme that there is a self. Now our Buddhist friends might find that illusory, but I do find it a useful concept. Our true self. Between the psychic mass of impulses and desires we have and the world outside, the ego mediates. And generally, unless we're less than six months old, we find out that if we allow our impulses to be expressed without filter, without inhibition, it is so socially unacceptable that it ends up being counterproductive in terms of getting what we want. So our ego fashions for us a persona, a face to the world. Now, to take an example, there was a very entertaining comedy which came out in the 1990s called The Mask. It starred Jim Carrey, he of the elastic face. Let me give you a quick summary of the convoluted story. Stanley is an ordinary man who suffers many indignations. At work, he is belittled, he's ripped off by his garage mechanic. He is, in fact, humiliated by people every day. And finally, he's just about had enough. He finds himself looking over the edge of a bridge down into the distant waters below. Before his despair can overtake him, he sees what he thinks is a person floating in the water. Rescuing the person, he finds it is just a wooden green mask floating in the water. When he tries on the mask, he finds it is magical. It transforms him into a totally confident, powerful, uninhibited trickster. In his bouts of frenetic activity wearing the mask, he revenges himself for the petty humiliations he suffered. He gets mixed up with gangsters. He gets mixed up with the police. He gets mixed up with a woman. Interestingly, in the film, Stanley consults a psychiatrist about his experience with the mask. Although the psychiatrist considers the mask of mythological significance, representing Loki, the Norse god of mischief, he believes that the outrageous behaviour when Stanley is wearing the mask is due to the manifestation of Stanley's repressed desires. The mask gets him into trouble, but in the end he thwarts the gangsters, proves his innocence to the police, and he and his sweetheart get together. Returning to the bridge, he throws the mask back into the river. He has found fulfilment, and he doesn't need to be anything else other than his authentic self. It's only a film, but there's a lot of psychological truth in it. The idea that we go through life playing a part goes back to the old Greek and Roman philosophers. But perhaps none put it more eloquently than Shakespeare. All the world's a stage. And all the men and women in it, merely players, they have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in, in the nurse's arms. Then the whining schoolboy, with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail, unwillingly, to school. And then the lover, sighing like the furnace, 
with a woeful ballad made to his mistress' eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly, with good cape and lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and skippered pantaloon. With spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose, well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank. And his big manly voice, turning again towards childish treble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all, that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. So that soliloquy was delivered by the character Jacques in As You Like It, uh, a world-weary character, you might say. Let's have some music to cheer us up. Uh, before I continue. Thank you. Come crown my brow with leaves of metal. I know the tortoise is a turtle. <laughs> Come carve my name in stone immortal. I know the tortoise is a turtle. <laughs> I know to my profound despair, I beg on one to beat a hare. I also know I'm now a pauper. Because of its totally, totally torpor. The question really is, how can we better understand the motivations within us? Jung developed an answer to that question after treating hundreds of patients as a psychiatrist, and he observed common themes in the dreams, the language, and the concerns of the people that he treated. So he was so struck by common bundles of characteristics that he concluded they were potentialities available to every one of us. And he developed a theory of a collective unconscious, that somehow there was a mass of symbols, archetypes, that each human being could draw on, not explicable by the environment in which we had been raised. 
And somehow these archetypes tend to create imagery which manifests in our conscious thoughts uh, through our dreams, perhaps in a tendency to adopt a particular role, to behave in a certain way. So let's go through the, the 12 archetypes in a little more detail. They were described, English translation, in his work Archetypes and Powers of the Collective Unconscious. As I say, there's no particular order or sequence in these. It's a collection of 12. First, let's consider the hero. The warrior, perhaps. The hero is physically and mentally confident, full of vitality and resilience, calm and composed, ready for anything. They just need to remember that fighting is not always the best way to achieve justice. There are so many obvious examples in the cinema and on the television screen. Usually they are superheroes, brave soldiers, or uncompromising detectives of whichever gender. By way of contrast, there is the child, the innocent, imaginative, trusting, and hopeful, blissfully unaware of the wicked ways of the world. They're ever optimistic, seeing the good in everyone. Still, they are out to learn, and they're on a journey of discovery. An example might be Alice from Alice in Wonderland, or the child Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Then there is the orphan. They undervalue themselves. Although they appear to wish others to take control of their lives, they themselves may be controlling. They may be too susceptible to the influence of others, too eager to please, easily led astray. On the other hand, they have untapped resources. They are survivors, and they have the great blessing of empathy for those around them who have suffered. Examples might be Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, or Frodo from Lord of the Rings, Snow White, Cinderella. Next we look at the creator, the artist. They have great energy and a distinctive vision of the world and what it can be. And the challenge for them is to implement the vision, whether it be in artistic form or in the creation of a group or team. They will leave a legacy, better or worse. Think of Dr. Frankenstein, or Willy Wonka, or Geppetto from the Pinocchio story. <clears throat> the caregiver, generous, selfless, valuing the survival of others more than their own welfare, protective. Of course, they face a terrible challenge if they care for the ungrateful. They can be taken advantage of. And there can be a problem if they are called upon to care beyond their capacity, in which case they may become a perennial victim or martyr. In cinema and literature, there are, they are often the mother figure, but not necessarily. Mary Poppins would qualify. The wise one, often referred to as the sage in English, or sometimes the mentor. Wise to the ways of the world, a free thinker, a calm presence, listening and guiding, a symbolic representation of the fourth Unitarian principle, 
a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Examples include the instructor from The Karate Kid, teachers such as in Dead Poets Society and To Sir With Love, Albus Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series, Spock in Star Trek, Morpheus in The Matrix. The trickster, uh, so tricky that I don't even have a slide to show for the <laughs> What happened there? I don't, I'm not sure. The jester, the joker, the class clown. On the one hand, they can be popular simply because of their jokes, good humour and funny comments. On the other hand, they can be expressing a deeper side, an element of being able to laugh at the absurdity of human life. Tom Sawyer, Bugs Bunny, Peter Pan, Puck the Fairy and Midsummer Night's Dream, dare I say, Nick Xenophon. <laughs> the magician or wizard, knowledgeable and strategic like the sage character, but more willful. They want to shape the world, but for better or worse. What makes them think they know better than others? Perhaps Sherlock Holmes is an example, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, Merlin, the ruler, a leader, king or queen, confidence, powerful, a great communicator. King Arthur is a good one, but another example would be Darth Vader in Star Wars and the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. The rebel the outlaw. They're not afraid to take on authority. Are they right to do so? It depends. Sometimes the authorities get it right. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes a rebel is a hero. Sometimes a rebel is just a ratbag. They tend to be persistent, good problem solvers. They can be inspirational. We need to think beyond disgruntled youth like James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. There are many books portraying evil authority in which heroic rebels emerge, such as in George Orwell's 1984 or Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. The lover, unrestrained passion and devotion. Is it selflessness or blindness? It's all about the feelings. Romeo is a classic example. Perhaps Elizabeth Bennet from Pride and Prejudice. The explorer, imaginative, eager to learn, curious, restless, non-conformist. Examples might be Indiana Jones or Captain Kirk from Star Trek. Now note that a lot of these archetypes appear in the tarot deck, which I have spoken about before. So now... An interesting exercise for you. I'm inviting you to turn to the people near you to discuss which of those archetypes you can relate to. Which do you think come to the fore when you're dealing with other people? And of course it may be different experiences at different times. I invite you to take a couple of minutes to discuss.
I'll just ask you to pause for a second before resuming with just one additional instruction. That is, if you have been listening a lot in this next part, could you speak more? If you have been speaking a lot in this next moment, could you listen more? Please resume. Very well, thank you. I hope you found that interesting. There is no right and wrong answer, of course, and one of the key lessons from this is that there is no uh, one of these 12 symbolic archetypes which is to be shunned. It is when we look at some of these symbols and say, that's not me, I have never been like that and I will never be like that. I suggest that's when problems emerge, either for ourselves or other people, or both. The point is that as Unitarians we are accepting of others, not necessarily of bad behaviour, but of others no matter which roles they adopt, which of these symbols seems to come to the fore in their interactions with us. And as long as we keep to acting justly and kindly with those around us. It matters not which elements within emerge. Jung said, one becomes enlightened not by imagining figures of light, but by becoming aware of the darkness. However, the latter procedure is unpleasant and therefore not particularly popular. It's a work of introspection and of becoming aware of ourselves, of both the shades of light and darkness within ourselves. Finally, uh, from me, let us join in prayer or, if you will, in contemplation of these words. We are complex creatures in our depths lies the potentiality of both darkness and light, both healing and hurt. Let us accept ourselves as we are. Once I do that, I can choose to do what is right. I can choose to love where I can. I can choose to pursue truth and justice courageously. I can be quick to listen and slow to speak. I can care for those around me. Above all, I can be kind. So may it be. So may it be. So may it be. And finally, to snap us back into an energetic mode, we hear about the kangaroos and the elephant, though not necessarily together. I found that the, the kangaroo's piece was such a short little snippet of a piece that it felt like it wasn't enough for the for the post so here we go. The kangaroo can jump incredible. He has to jump because he's edible. <laughs> I could not eat a kangaroo, but many fine Australians do. Those with cookbooks as well as boomerangs prefer him in tasty kangaroo meringues. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
are useful friends, equipped with handles at both ends. They have a wrinkled moth-proof hide. Their teeth are upside down, outside. <laughs> if you think the elephant preposterous, you've probably never seen a rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.